So this is a letter from an eighth grader. Dear coach, my name is Malika Underwood. I am interested in attending your school. I am in the eighth grade and I am presently attending the O'Farrell Community School, Center for Advanced Academic Studies. I am in the process of choosing what high school I would like to attend. I am a young lady, 14 years of age. I'm interested in playing baseball, not softball. Last year, I played on the Choyas Lake Senior Minor Team for 13 and 14-year-olds. I'm a pitcher and second basewoman. Last year, I batted third in the order, hitting 557. We played a total of 25 games. I had 61 at bats and 34 hits. I made no errors at second and had an ERA of 1.85 as a pitcher. I presently play for the Choyas Lake Senior Major Team for 14 and 15-year-olds. We are currently playing games. We will start the Tournament of Champions in about a week. After the tournament, I will begin games for All-Stars. Now that you know a little bit about me, I would like to let you know that I don't expect some special placement or treatment, but I do expect a fair chance. I would like to know if you have anything against women playing on your high school team. Has any girl tried out for your high school football and or baseball team? Has any girl ever made the team? I would appreciate if you would write me with the answers to these questions and anything you would like to tell me about the school, yourself, the athletic program at your school, or your team. Thanks for taking the time to read and reply to my letter. Thanks, Aleka Underwood. Welcome to Glorious Professionals brought to you by GoRuck Media. I'm Jason here with Emily in our kitchen in Atlantic Beach, Florida with our dear friend and guest today, Malika Underwood. Malika is Senior Vice President of Licensing at One Team Partners, where she is tasked with providing oversight for the company's growing licensing business and positioning the company to deliver value to college athletes as the NCAA landscape changes. She was recently named one of the Sports Business Journal's 40 Under 40. Underwood, who is a scholarship volleyball player at the University of North Carolina, Go Heels, is currently the longest tenured player on a USA baseball national team, male or female. She's earned five women's baseball World Cup medals, as well as two women's baseball World Cup all tournament team selections. In 2015, Underwood was honored by USA Baseball as the Sportswoman of the Year. She lives in Atlantic Beach, Florida with her husband, Chris, and two daughters, Birdie and Kit, both of whom inspired Underwood to write her recently published children's book, Birdie Can Too. Today, we're excited to talk to her about her personal journey. Malika, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> we remodeled our kitchen in, in honor of your coming over. Our kids are upstairs. I love asleep. the setup. <laughs> <laughs> what were you saying right before? It's, it's high-end. This is high-end. Better than the garage. I don't generally expect high-end from you guys, but you brought it tonight. <laughs> we're uh, we're yeah. not in the garage where we were running the podcast last year. Um, we're not in the driveway, <laughs> which is where you usually kick my ass in, in a sandbag in training and all that stuff. You know, the only time you don't is when you've got one of your kids in your arm while or you're both. still doing, or both. <laughs> anyway, look, if you can't tell out there, we're, this is one of our dearest friends and it's, it's fun to sort of chat. And um, per norm, just want to start with kind of how you grew up, what led you to be become where you went and where you are. Well, thank you for having me because this is going to be fun. I grew up in San Diego, so I played outside all the time and I loved baseball and it just came naturally to me. And so um, that's the sport that for me was 
just it was what I wanted to do. I actually just like most little boys, I wanted to be a professional baseball player. And so I dreamed of being the first. Who was your favorite? At the time, Greg Maddox. Oh, yeah. Atlanta Braves. So I, I grew up an Atlanta fan. Cubs first, right? Well, he was a Cub first, yeah. you're right. Yeah. I think Look he won you. the Cy Young there. How did how do you have a baseball <laughs> memory? I'm from, guess, you know, you know what the first professional like, baseball, like baseball team baseball was? Too. First MLB <laughs> team was. Chicago White Sox? No. Cincinnati Reds. The Reds. The Reds, of course yeah. it was. Of course it was. Anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry, I cut you off. You wanted to be the first. So yes, Greg I actually wanted to be a Greg Maddox type pitcher. That's, mm. I, that's what I grew up wanting to do. You know, I played Little League. I started playing t-ball just like everybody else. There were a couple girls on the team. I was pretty competitive. I know that's surprising to you guys. <laughs> um, I can remember, actually, we were the Brown Bears, Choyus Lake. And uh, I was playing second base. And there was a girl who played right field, pop fly. The girl never caught anything that came near her. Yeah. <laughs> she put her glove out, caught a ball, started jumping up and down, celebrating. I turned around, looked at her and said, throw the ball in. <laughs> <laughs> Even at six years old, I was serious about baseball. So I, I continued to play, but as I continued to play, fewer and fewer girls were on the- So did you grow up rich? Did you grow up poor? Were you on fancy places? Were you at Sandlots? Were you like, what, what, was, the, what, what was the vibe back then? Choyus Lake was not high end. It was not anywhere near high end. Now I have, it was, I think the, um, the saying was something like where the stars of tomorrow play today. That was on the sign as you pulled into the dirt road that led to the fields that were also mostly dirt, some grass in the outfield, bad hops were common. And so, yeah, no, no, it was, you know, solidly lower middle-class neighborhood, uh, lots of good people around. I mean, we played all the time, um, baseball all the time. We played, even if there were just two of us, we'd find a way to play baseball outside. Were there fist fights? Was it safe? Was it unsafe? Was it? I mean, I got in a few fights. I'm sure that doesn't surprise you or Emily. I know Emily has a fighter in her too. <laughs> I know yeah. that. Um, yeah. It was safe, safe enough. It, it wasn't like Atlantic Beach, Florida. <laughs> but racially diverse. It right? was diverse, yeah. Mm -hmm. There were actually a lot of mixed families. So, so my mom is black and my, my dad is white. Both my sister and brother are adopted, so we had a pretty mixed family. But that was not uncommon for our neighborhood. A lot of diversity, a lot of... There, there were a lot of kids my age, so we hung out a lot together. And I actually can remember going out somewhere, or going to a game, going to, going to the fields, and people not knowing who, which kids belong to which parents, because <laughs> we were all, always just kind of together. And a lot of us who were mixed race looked all the same. <laughs> so they just thought we were one big family of like 12 kids oh, who kind of ran around together. So the, you're a little younger than us, but you still kind of had this same upbringing where we were kids that just got sent outside and come home at dark and wander around the neighborhood and go in packs. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I was actually known in the neighborhood for, I, I knew which families ate first. <laughs> and so I would show up at one friend's house and they'd be like, oh, Malik is here. Would you like to stay for dinner? Yes, of course. So I'd have a little dinner. Then I'd go across the street <laughs> and the next family would be having dinner. Oh, Malik is here. Would you like to stay for dinner? Sure. And I'd eat. And then I'd go home and my parents, who were both working, would get home and, and we'd eat some more. So, <laughs> so you were, what, 100% tomboy? Oh, 100%. Yeah, 100% <laughs> yeah. tomboy. Jeans, T-shirt, I always wore my Choice Lake hat uh, to school unless they told me I couldn't. 
Um, I didn't start growing my hair long until middle school, maybe. And then once I got to college, I chopped it off again and said, what am I doing? This is so easy. I've got curly hair. Let me just roll with it. So you have, you know, there's obviously parents out listening to this. There's people our age that aren't parents. There's the next generation listening. I mean, what was freedom like in terms of growing up a kid? Because, you know, I romanticize it about how we grew up. I'm just listening to you. I mean. I want to hear about an adventure you got into because I know there had to be something. Well, you know what? We, so Choyas Lake was actually a lake. It man-made lake in near our neighborhood <clears throat> or near my house in our neighborhood. And there was a uh, canyon and we would go into that canyon all the time. And so talk about freedom. Like we would roam, you know, tell your parents, head it out. They're like, come home for dinner and that's it. And we'd go look for snakes. We'd go run up and down the hill. We'd do things we weren't supposed to be doing. Like what? <laughs> You know, I'd rather not. I don't know if the statute of limitations has inspired or not. Safe space. No one's gonna know. I mean, all right, so this is probably the worst thing that we did as kids, and now it's gonna be on record. But there is an elementary school just up the street from us, and we knew where the teacher's lounge was. So we broke into the teacher's lounge, went into the fridge and got their stash of popsicles and ice cream. And then took off <laughs> and went home and ate it all. Surprisingly, I, I guess maybe not surprisingly because there was an alarm, the cops did come and they were driving around the neighborhood looking for somebody who broke into the school. And it was us just sitting on our porch eating ice cream and popsicles. Popsicle <laughs> thief. Did they, ever, <laughs> did they ever put two and two together? No, never. No cameras, right? No, no yeah, no cameras no. or nothing. They, <laughs> I, I no also idea. broke into a house when I was <laughs> And what? the cops did come. Really? Yes. And and it was like, it's a long story. I'll get to it sometime later. But basically they, my older cousin blamed all of us and we were much younger and they put all the blame on my three-year-old brother. <laughs> it was like such a <laughs> joke. They were like, who's this Eric? And he like, you know, toddles out with like candy bar all over his face. <laughs> and they're like, okay. You're, you're telling that story and I'm actually picturing Geo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's Eric's son. Yeah. No. Um, well, that's, but, but it, there's something like you learn in those situations, right? Like you feel a little bad about it, but you also feel a little exhilarated. There, there was something to the neighborhood being the families being close to, because there, there was some level of safety in that, which let our parents, um, give us the independence that we needed, which is something I really like about our neighborhood and our crew is there's, you know, enough people that your kids can go out and kind of be out on their own, but they're being watched. But I say that loosely, like if something goes wrong, they'll be there. You, you did this recently for me. Yes, I did. <laughs> our, our boys um, escaped from the house while I was in the shower. You were doing your workout, Jace. And Malika calls me. She goes, your boys just ran by me. And I can't, I can't catch them because I got my kids. And I was like, what? No, they're not. They're downstairs. And she's like, nope. <laughs> so I had to go chase after them. Well, 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 when Jack rode by, he said, have you seen my dad? And I said, yeah, he went that way. And I thought, I thought for a second, I said, where's your mom? And he just kept going. I was like, oh, that's wrong answer, but <laughs> yeah. wrong answer. You're so up that, to no that's, good. <laughs> that's the neighborhood protection. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's yeah. It. Okay. So baseball is, is your heart. Absolutely. I love how you always said that baseball found you. 
Yes, absolutely. Like, tell us about being on the team. It, w- it was it was pretty natural for me, and I I honestly don't even know the origin story. I probably just told my parents, "Hey, I want to sign up for baseball," and they were like, "Okay, whatever. It's something to do." But once I started playing. I just, I wouldn't stop. And and you're right, Jason, it is my heart. Like whether it's watching it, playing it, coaching it, it's just a part of who I am. Pretty much why I start all stories with the fact that I grew up playing baseball because it's core to my being. The um, It provided me a lot of opportunities. And every time I thought, oh, this might be the end, it showed up again. So skipping ahead a little bit, but I I got through high school, played volleyball and basketball, mostly because I didn't want to be just in a PE class. I was like, "Ah, I played basketball in the neighborhood. I played volleyball before. This will be easy. Actually turned out to be really great opportunities for me. And so when I started to get recruited for those sports, I thought, well, here's the end of baseball. Like, that's it. And almost accepted it, coached a bit through college, just little league to kind of stay close to it because it's core to who I am. And then I found out about USA Baseball almost by chance. It was in 2006 and they were fielding a team for the USA Baseball Women's National Team. I had no idea they had a national team. They had just started one in 2004. Uh, They were having open tryouts, going to the World Cup that year. I thought, I haven't played in a while. At that point, I left high school in 99. So it's you know, seven years later, I'm like, well, could it be like riding a bike? Let me take some swings, have somebody hit me some ground balls, see if I can do this. And I made the team and I haven't looked so back. Cool. So, and then even within that context, like within USA baseball, I've had a really long career playing, but I've also had the chance to coach some of the grassroots and youth stuff and contribute that way and work with the organization on, on other things. So it, it really has provided for me in a way that I don't know that anything else has in my life other than my husband. <laughs> yeah. Chris, you just worked that one in. <laughs> <laughs> good save, good save. But well, let's let's go. I want to talk about this letter a little yeah, bit because it you've told me about it, that you've done it, but I had never read it before seeing it written in that book that has a chapter about you. And I I read that and I thought I found it to be polite, but, but defiant and very strong willed. And, and it doesn't surprise me knowing you now, but it it is kind of remarkable to think that you were 13 years old when you wrote that. I want to hear about what, remembering that and what your thoughts are on it. I, I say this in the most humble way, but as an adult now, I look back at that and I cannot believe at 13, I had the balls to write it. But at the same time, it felt so absolutely normal to me to write. Mm-hmm. And it was... Baseball was life, right? Yeah, it was what <laughs> I wanted to do. And in that moment, I had a lot of people questioning me and saying, well, why don't you just switch to softball? Or if you want to go to college, you have to switch. So some of that defiance you sense is probably me projecting that a bit as if like, don't tell me I have to go do this thing that I've don't want to do, and I've never even played the game, and let me try to do what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And the responses were varied. I mean, some coaches said outright, no, we have a softball team. Some were wishy-washy about it. I was fortunate that there were two coaches who were open to it. It was really inspired by my parents, too, and specifically my mom. It's one of those things where I said, well, I want to play high school baseball, and then they both look at me, and they say, well, how are you going to do it? Mm -hmm. And that was the solution was let's see which coaches will give you a fair chance. 
And what, what a great way to parent. Yeah. I mean, I've met your parents, but I have a lot of respect for them with that because it's, you know, it seems like they gave you a long leash and they let you pursue these these dreams, but they also were supportive when you needed them. And to, I mean, your moms, you both your parents have interesting backgrounds. Tell us a little bit about, about them. Yeah, my mother was born in North Carolina. Her, her father was a, a preacher, and so she spent a lot of time on the, on the road. Uh, she inevitably ended up at NYU, and she became just a remarkable. journalist. Yeah. yeah. And she was told, she was told at a young age, and maybe this is in a way she identified with my path through baseball, through her path, because growing up in the South, um, you know, in the 50s and 60s, when she said she wanted to be a journalist, her teachers looked at her and said, no, honey, you can be a teacher or you can be a nurse. Mm-hmm. For, for a black woman, that were, those were the options. Yeah. And she, she pushed against that, ended up at NYU and was a, was a journalist for, for many years, um, and then met my dad and moved to California and uh, ended up working in civil service. I mean, she worked for the mayor for 30 years in San Diego doing various things, some work with gangs, some work with the homeless and, and things like that, mm-hmm. um, and was always a working mom. Uh, so in that way, I'm inspired by her as a working mom myself. My dad, completely opposite, was born in upstate New York and went to school, college in, in North Carolina, played, huh. played tennis down there. And he was very much a hippie. He started hiking the Appalachian Trail and, you know. Which would explain Chris, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and Malika. That's true. That's true. There's you a little hippie in me too, though. Yeah, there's a lot in Chris, though. <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> what kind of, sorry, what kind of preacher, like, was your grandfather? Baptist, I think, yeah. And it's interesting, um, both my parents grew up in pretty religious families, Mm -hmm. but then, you know, I'm probably a product of the era that era that that they grew up in, but they kind of rebelled a a bit and found each other by way of introduction from my dad's brother who met my mom and was like, Tom, you need to meet this woman. (laughs) And at that time he had already, he had already found his way to San Diego. So true, you know, there was no FaceTime back then. So they were, you know, almost just calling each other and it was long distance, real long distance. And how did they describe, I mean, what was the vibe like back then in a racial marriage? I mean, it's not what it was, not what it is now. Yeah. That's a, that's a great question. And, and an interesting one too, because I obviously am in an interracial relationship and, even though we have challenges now, I can't imagine my parents. And they, they talk a little bit about it. And there, there was some family tension, um, mm. which to me would have been the hardest part. On, on whose side? On both sides. On both sides. On both sides, mm. yeah. It's just some level of um, not accepting their relationship. And, and so that, I'm sure that was tough. I mean, the social stuff you can deal with because it's outside. You know, it's not your, but when your family looks down on that stuff, that's tough. Wow. Um, But over time, the family, I mean, I don't know that you ever fully get over some of that stuff, but they came around. And so there wasn't that much tension by the time at least I was old enough to to remember things and interactions that Mm. there was any there were any issues. But yeah, that was something they had to they they definitely had to deal with. And both of them were married before. And my, my mom was actually pretty close to Black Panther movement. Hmm. And so, I mean, you got this kind of, if you want to call her former Black Panther and this hippie, <laughs> hippie white guy, <laughs> like, find each other and it's love at first sight. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and move to San Diego so they can be around uh, a little bit more progressive folks. So, what, Do you think, was that conscious? 
like, hey, it's more progressive in California. We're going to go there. Uh, so my dad kind of made his way there. He left North Carolina. His his mother died early of breast cancer. Uh, so when he finished college, he spent some time in New Orleans and then decided he was going to San Francisco. He drove straight across from New Orleans stopped in the middle of the night on the coast in San Diego to take a break before he headed north and woke up and looked at the ocean and said, this is good. Why would I keep driving? <laughs> Never so turn right. <laughs> Never turn right. He just, he just stayed there. And so he was there already when he met my mom. And I mean, it depends on the person, but if you're going to pick New York City or San Diego, my dad was like, I'm not going back to New York. So either you come out here and we're together or kind of go our separate ways. And you've said this, or I've read this before, where you couldn't believe that your mom acquiesced. Uh, yeah. I mean, she's <laughs> stubborn. I mean, that's obviously no surprise to you all because you know me. But mm-hmm. um, uh, but yes, she's stubborn. So I am surprised by that. But, you know, we all do crazy things for, for love. So <laughs> as I'm staring at the McCarthy's. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so this idea of, you know, they say, okay, well, how are you going to do this? Right. When I think about that. It's kind of all this other advice that you were getting, like you got to do this. It's, it's like, it's almost akin to though, when you, when you get someone and you're like, Hey, you're, you're in college, you've got to go take this job and you got to ask about a 401k and you've got to ask about, you know, what kind of dental and vision and, you know, all these, you know, do you have a, pardon my French, a fucking bagel bar in the morning? And like, you know, does someone do all, it's like, look, people, sometimes you know, the, the people around us, they, we mean well for them. We mean well for our kids. It's like, we want to spare people what? Everyone wanted you to just be safe, safer. Like this is the expected path, but it wasn't yours. And to me, the irony, yeah. the irony is that their point was, well, in order to do something for the long term, you've got you've to start down this path now to do this in college. And here you are, the longest standing member of of a, the USA baseball team, male or female. I mean, there's a lot of irony in that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's, um, I, I think that, you know, it's people want to do what they think is best for you, but giving people the freedom and empowering them to follow their path is important. And I, th- there's a balance, right? Because as you get older, you've been, you've experienced things and you want to try to pass down some of that, that knowledge, but that's also restricting and I think there's, there's something to be said about letting people try and potentially fail. In my case, doors just kept opening that allowed me to, to continue. And, and I was confident in where I was kind of headed. I didn't know exactly where that was, but I was confident in at least the path that I was going down. And, and just to go back, I think this is important as a parent because your your parents still were guiding. They were guiding you, right? They were facilitating. They were there for advice when you needed it, it sounds like, but they, they wanted you to make these decisions. They absolutely did. And this is a, a story of my dad doing just that. My freshman year in college, uh, it was like the first two weeks. So it was training camp. It's really before everybody shows up on campus, but all the athletes are there. And, and here's this San Diego girl shows up at the University of North Carolina, you know, heart of North Carolina, heart of the South. <laughs> like, I've never had sweet tea. I didn't know what a chicken biscuit was. <laughs> like, grits, are you kidding me? Like, this is crazy. And, and we're, we're working out hours and hours and hours a day. And I'm sore. I can't even sit on the toilet. Like, my legs hurt. And I'm just, like, feeling 
lonely and like overwhelmed, right? And I'm 18 and I'm far away from home. And I call my parents and I'm like, I don't think this is this was right. Like, I, I don't know. I just like, I want to go <laughs> home. <laughs> Where am I? And my dad, he's on the line. He's like, okay, cool. We'll come pick you up and grab your stuff and you can come home. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. That, that, I don't think that's what I meant. And he just made me, he was like, going to be supportive. All right, cool. You want to bail out on this? Fine. Uh, and, and yet like in his own way, he made me rethink like, no, no, I want to do this. And I can do this. And um, so was that a trick? Did he know I, that that was? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't think so. I think he was probably just like, hey, well, I we'll feel come as a parent now you. that I'm not that smart. So I feel like I would, if I, if my kids are ever telling a story about something that I did that like inspired them or, or was like a moment where I kind of, they felt like I did the right thing despite what they thought, I feel like it will be on accident. And <laughs> well, I'll look back and be like, oh, too. well. Okay, so what have you quit in life? <sighs> I don't, I'm sure there's something, but I don't, your, I don't your, know. your job, right? When you were bartender. I mean, well, <laughs> I'm only like moving on and not like just quitting something. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I guess what my, my point is, is, I mean, I don't know, right? But I would want my kid to stick through something, certainly not, you know, the very beginning. And if I could say, all right, you want to quit? Fine. I'll come and get you. Just, you know, you just quit. It's okay. Just quit. Well, and but he didn't, I, it sounds yeah, like he was loving like about it. Yeah, You're like, dig. You, you could play on it. Yeah. Well, and I will, I'll give my dad some credit. He did know my buttons because <laughs> if I, I mean, I was a, I wasn't a, a rebel teenager, but I didn't always follow the rules, especially curfew. And so I started, you out doing? I started hanging out with boys and I was like not coming home. You know, it's like be home at midnight and at one o'clock they're calling, you know, my boyfriend's mom saying, can you send her home, whatever. <laughs> and so I kept doing this for a while. And one night I got home and my dad had left a note on the bed that said, you need to respect curfew. And if you don't, then you will no longer play baseball. <laughs> And I was like, you can't stop me from playing baseball. And he looked at me and said, you want to bet? <laughs> wow. And so that was it. I started showing up on time and doing the things I needed to do. So he did know. He did know. So to your point, Jason, he, maybe he had a sense that like calling me out for quitting in that moment, even though I was emotional and felt vulnerable, would <laughs> trump those feelings with this. No, no, no. Wait a second. I'm not going to turn around and walk out of here. So what was the sort of low point, if, if any, I mean, in this, I mean, and look, we're, we're, we're glossing this over. I mean, a little bit because you're, you're an extraordinary athlete. I mean, it's just one of those things you're born gifted, you're a hard worker. We, we, we know you well enough. We've known you for a long time now. And so that's, that's just who you are. There, there are certainly certain pressures. There's things I can't possibly understand. There's being a girl in a, in a quote guy's sport. There's, you know, growing up in one place and moving across the country for another. There's, you know, all these people telling you what you should do and what you shouldn't do and, and all that. And then there's just the process of growing up, which is hard unto itself. I mean, what was the, what were the hard, the hardest parts or the hard parts? There were a lot of hard parts just in trying to continue down the path, despite all of the pressures. And some of them were put on myself because I was a girl in a guy's sport, but 
I felt like I always had to be perfect. So if I wasn't perfect, that was, that was really difficult to deal with. And so I, I never had failures in a way that now looking back, don't feel like they were still accomplishments, but there were things that at the time were really difficult to deal with and, and stressful. And I mean, I, I can remember after tryouts um, for the, the JV baseball team coming home and just feeling like, I'm not sure I'm going to make this team. And getting emotional about it and going to my room and my mom coming in and trying to talk to me about it and just kind of leave me alone. And I ended up making the team, but I felt like I had to be so perfect that I just forgot that I was just another baseball player. And over time, that kind of weight is probably the hardest thing that I've had to deal with is being in this sport where women just aren't as accepted, that we don't have the same opportunities. Now it's, it's changed some over the last 20 years and MLB has started to invest more in, in the grassroots girls game. And there are other organizations that have helped it grow some. But when I was growing up in the nineties, I mean, there were like, you know, there were the silver bullets. They were a all women's team sponsored by Coors that was uh, barnstorming and they'd play men's teams. And actually some of my USA baseball teammates um, played for that team uh, and there was Isla Borders, who was the first woman to um, pitch professional baseball. And I remember tearing out of the Sports Illustrated picture of her and putting it on my wall. But outside of that, I didn't have a lot of women to look up to. And it just felt lonely. Like, I was on this island trying to do something, and there was nobody else out there doing something similar. Now, it's a little bit different now because... A lot of the girls who play baseball, despite being maybe the only one in their community who does it, they have social media. And so the community has grown nationally and there's a way for them to connect and at least feel like they're not alone. I'm not saying they don't, but it was much more isolated then. Mm -hmm. And that was that, those are the things that were tough. Not in any like one moment where I felt or failed or, I mean, there were losses that were devastating and things like that, but I don't count those as like- We all have those. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those you are just- You play team sports. Exactly. Um, but that stuff, that stuff is like the stuff that I constantly carry and weigh on me, even today, like just feeling that kind of weight, like always having to prove myself in a way. And it's a team sport and you didn't have, you didn't have many people to like relate to. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, you get along great with your guy teammates and, you know, yeah. uh, and I'm sure, but it's different, right? It, I mean, it, it always, it feels different. I mean, you're, it, it is. And the thing is they don't have to worry about I, the best way I can describe it is how, how I did, which, which is you feel like you have to be perfect. And the reality is, especially in baseball, but in, in most sports, you're not going to be perfect. But because I was a girl in a boy's sport, if I made one mistake, even though that was natural for a boy to do, I felt like it weighed extra on me. Um, and well, then people say like, oh, well, she's, you know, she's the only girl on the team, you know, and like the excuses are made or, you know, you yeah, deal I mean, with the parents and it's probably still true today. Parents of kids on, in sports are worse than the kids themselves. <laughs> <laughs> right. If you're listening out there, do not be that. Parent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> try not to try your yeah. best not to be. that. Okay. Parent. So how was it? I mean, you went to UNC. It's obviously a storied athletic department. Yeah. Pretty awesome, right? I mean, Super Michael awesome. Jordan went there. Well, yeah. Listen to this on my recruiting trip. 
my coach, my volleyball coach, knew that I was a huge Michael Jordan fan. And, he, and, and so he takes me into Dean Smith's office, who has since passed, but he, he takes me in and I get to meet Dean Smith and we're talking, it's awesome. And I know, like at that, at that moment, I was like, this is amazing mm -hmm. that I get to yeah. sit here and talk to him. He's telling me these stories and all this stuff about Michael Jordan. He's like, wait one second. He goes into the closet and he's digging around and whatever, he comes out and he shows me some of the, a championship ring that Michael Jordan had given him as a gift. And I got to like put it on my finger. Oh, I was wow. like, and it, I mean, it was fall in Chapel Hill. The cut, this is my recruiting trip. The cut, the, the leaves are changing colors. It's beautiful. I'm like, this is the place. I'm flying home and I'm telling my dad, I don't need to go on any of these other recruiting <laughs> trips. This is where I'm going. This is absolutely it. And then I show up in August for training camp and it's, you know, 95 degrees and humid <laughs> and we're no air conditioning in our gym. And I was like, this was a trick. Somebody tricked me. <laughs> Let me go home. This is terrible. And they probably made you run. Which you I hate. have asthma now somehow because it's so humid and I've never ever, ever run oh. sprints in this. Well, so. yeah. Honeymoon was over. It huh? was yeah. quick, really quick. <laughs> so did it feel more, I mean, compare the experiences. Does it, did it feel more fair? I mean, is that even the right way to ask it? Like mm. now you're competing with, with other girls against other girls or women. And as opposed to, you're not the only you're not the only girl, you know, girls can't play ball and all that stuff. Yeah, not and fair is not the right word. It felt, it actually felt like less, less pressure. Mm. It just felt like free, like, oh, this is not easy because it was still competitive and we played at a very high level and including my teammates, but also teams we played like we were we competed in my senior year, made it to the sweet 16. I mean, it was high level volleyball, but the individual pressure was very different than when playing um, with guys. And that's true, too, when I started playing women's baseball for USA, because I went out there and I, and I thought I've never played in 2006 when I went out for tryouts, I walked on that field and realized I had never played a game, a baseball game with other women. And it was just surprising to me to see so many women out there playing at such a high level. And I think, and I've heard this from some others, there are a lot of women who come out to play or try out for the team and have that same experience. Like it's, this is it's totally different. They've spent their whole life like trying to carve out this path and then they just like walk into this open arena and they're like, oh. Okay, but so did you start to almost, did you have to start to relish this role that you had for yourself? I'm the only woman on this team. Like was there Stockholm syndrome almost over, you know, that? Because at some point you've got you've to just own it. Right? True. I, I never shied away from it, but I didn't miss it. No. I didn't miss it. I mean, I don't, I don't mind it. I don't mind it at all, but I didn't miss it. And to be to be fair, my career is in in sports, in college sports, um, primarily. And so I'm around a lot of dudes anyway. Like if I want to feel that way, I could just like look around the boardroom and feel that way, right? So it's it's. I and you're mean, comfortable I, in that environment, and you're comfortable in the other. Yeah, and, and maybe my experience playing baseball helped in a way to just be cool with that. I mean, it doesn't bother me all that much. I think it's interesting that you're coming to the field and, uh, and, and these other female players are also coming with the same experience of like looking around and being like, wow, there, there's other women here. And I think that's what, if, if I could change something in my lifetime, it would be that we have to have that experience, that there's actually more opportunity for girls and women to play baseball, mm -hmm. that it's not that uncommon to have teams to 
to watch other women play, whether that be on TV or live or whatever. It's going to take a while because if you, the history of the game, women have been a part of the game since it started, but they've also been excluded from the game since it started with the exception of the um, All-American Girls Professional Baseball League, which was the you know, it's the inspiration for a league of their own. The right. Movie during and stuff. the war. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so those women had an opportunity to actually, actually play professionally. But, um, outside of that, women have just been on the outskirts of, of the game. Okay. Um, so at what point did it become softball? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. So it was around at this point, it's about 50 years. Cause title nine, um, is about 50 years old. I think actually Title IX will have its 50th anniversary next year. And around that time, there was a lawsuit against Little League Baseball. A little girl wanted to play for her Little League team and they told her she couldn't. And Little League Baseball lost. And they were told they had to let girls play. That same year when they lost, they launched Little League Softball. And so they started socially just putting girls in Little League Softball. This is where you go. And it's grown. And that's really what has kept, and I don't say this in a way that is to take away from softball because I think it's a fine game and there are plenty of people who enjoy playing it and playing it at a high level. There are women playing it in the Olympics right now. But it allowed men or people in general to exclude girls from baseball and say, oh, but you can have this game. You can play softball. And I don't know if you've, uh, how much either of you have played both, but they're different. They are so different. And I played both. Baseball is the only sport with the exception of, of football, American football, where the equivalent sport for women is actually a different sport, mm-hmm. right? Basketball, we're okay with women playing basketball. We're okay with women playing soccer. We're, I mean, go down the list yeah. and we're okay with it. Uh, baseball is the one where we just can't get over it. And it was that one lawsuit. Mm-hmm. I mean, they could have as easily have come up with a girls' baseball. I'm trying to remember her last name now. Is Pepe something versus versus uh, Little League baseball? Where was it? Do you remember? I believe it was up in Pennsylvania. Mm. Um, but you're, now you're asking me details, and yeah. I'm I'm terrible at details. Well, I mean, it's so interesting because when we first met and you, I did the classic thing that everybody does for you, to you. You said, I play, I play baseball. And I was like, you mean softball? And you were like, no, baseball. And I was like, got it. (laughs) I won't ever make that mistake again. I had never, I mean, I, I did the same thing. I grew up playing baseball. And then that same time around middle school, they basically were like, all right, girls go this way. Boys go this way. And And you just do. And it just did. I mean, and it's, 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 it's harder to fight against that, right? You want, I mean, even as a parent, you know, you, you want your daughter to fit in and be around her friends. And if she's Now alone, you're being the people that told you, you had to go place. I, I am, I'm justifying, <laughs> no, no, I'm justifying I I what they're doing. <laughs> I get what they're doing, but I also think that we should I, kind of pull back from that and just let girls play baseball. I mean, it's, it to me is. I didn't, I didn't like the change. Funny. I thought it was harder for me to hit the ball. It was a slower game. Yeah. And, and I actually, you know, I, I lost interest. I played it through middle school and then. You know, what's interesting. You say it's a slower game and at, at a younger age it is. Slow pitch, yeah. When you, get to, when you get to college and above, softball is fast and it's a short field and it's much faster. And we have, we have uh, women on our, on our USA team who come to us after they've finished playing college softball at a high level and they have to actually slow themselves down because baseball, 
you know, that size of field and all of those things is, is slower. I mean, still a fast game, but it's slower than softball when you're much closer. And, and when you're playing third base and a ball's hit to you, you have to field and throw. Mm-hmm. And in baseball, you field and throw. I mean, it, that's kind of the, the verbal example of how different it can be. What's the fastest someone can throw a softball? I, I don't know, but so I don't, I don't know. Because like, I mean, to me, it's like, it's the difference between a golf cart and, like, and a- Well, no, but see, in softball, they're so, they're close. They can yeah. also take a few steps toward you. And so um, the equivalent, I, I think, I mean, I, again, I, I don't know the exacts, but the equivalent because of the distance, it's upward of like 90 to 100 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. And then it's also rising instead of coming down mm-hmm. like a baseball. There's a lot of there's a lot of differences. Uh, there, there's been Jenny Finch. She like uh, who was a pitcher, a softball pitcher. She pitched to a bunch of major league guys and struck them all out. And, like somebody <laughs> fouled a ball off, and you know, like that was like a big Billie deal. Jean King, like, yeah, know. yeah. yeah. Um. I mean, but it was in softball. I mean, <laughs> they, tennis. you know, they, they yeah. don't do the reverse. And so, I mean, what's up. the right answer, really? I mean, is it you know just burn softball down? I mean, no, you know. I don't, I don't think so at all. I think softball can exist. And as a matter of fact, there's men's softball. So mm-hmm. I don't know why there can't be both for, for when Tom Cruise and uh, a few good men, wasn't that sort of the softball th- men's softball league? Well, there, there, well, yes, there, there are softball leagues like that. And there's actually competitive drinking leagues. <laughs> there's drinking leagues. Some there, of our buddies are in those drinking there, soccer leagues, that. like your there's husband. That. Yes. Yes. There is that. <laughs> there, there definitely is that. What is the right answer? Um, I don't know exactly, but I would say roughly it's this, it's that we let girls and boys play baseball co-ed till middle school age, which it, Technically, you can now, but it's it's just socially not that acceptable. And then at the high school level, we offer boys and girls baseball. And if if there's interest, boys and girls softball, it's it's fine. And also at the collegiate level, and allow you know professional leagues to develop as as the pool develops. I'm I'm not suggesting you just start a league just to just to start a professional league. That's actually one of the challenges now people have said we should have a professional women's baseball league I'm like the talent pool right now isn't deep enough for us to do that because you don't want to launch a league and then it not be a high level you've got to provide you've got to provide the grassroots mm-hmm. and the middle ground for athletes to develop so that you can and if you look at a sport like um, women's basketball the WNBA didn't start until you had you had almost like demand for it because college basketball, women's basketball, was so getting so good, and so then you start the professional league and you have the women you need to have. Okay, so you're level. like here's the cool part: you're you're in sports, you're in this the business side of this as well. I mean, when you look at it, I mean, how much of this is okay? There's high quality of of players and you need farm systems in essence to create high quality versus the economics just aren't there as much or will they be there or can they be there? I mean, you know, you remember when, who was it? Brainy Chastain, when the women USA won the world cup. Yeah, I mean, ni- uh, awesome, awesome yeah. moment, or, right? Or I 99, mean, sorry. You know, 99. Mia Hamm, there's, there's a lot of women over, a lot, not enough, but there are women that have stood out, you know, in these kind of sports and it just, it, it doesn't seem to have the staying power of the NFL or MLB or the NBA or like, what's, what, what's your take on all this? So my short take is this, and it's that there is a general biased 
coverage bias, broadcast bias against women, and that there is actually demand for exactly what we're talking about, women's sports, uh, women's professional leagues across sports. But we just don't get to see it. And then the people who aren't broadcasting it get to tell us that we don't want to see it. <laughs> so, and again, I, I, I very much know that you can't just flip a switch, right? You can't just say, oh, let's start a women's professional baseball league and then people start watching. But you also have to cover the professional sports, women's sports that we have now in a way that gives people access to watch it and see if there's demand for that kind of stuff. Okay, so little known fact or possibly slightly known fact, I grew up playing tennis. My mom was a hugely inspirational, you know, she was a D1 athlete at Florida, go Gators, right? Best athlete in our family. Women's tennis has always been kind of, it's on par with the men's depending upon the personalities. What's the case on the team sports side where there's, uh, you know, the Olympics is the Olympics. I don't know if that's a good case, but like, how do we make these decisions? I think that there, there's a, an acceptance around individual sports and we see that and we see the coverage reflect that. And then we assume that because it's covered and we can watch it on TV, there must, there must be demand for it. We don't see that equal coverage even in media, like written media of women's sports. And so there's not a, a knowledge base. So it, it kind of feeds on itself. You don't know about women's Meaning basketball. Meaning a volume of. Yeah. Or, or just, a just a coverage of what is actually happening. And there's, there's been studies and, I, and um, articles written about this. Uh, how much during the women's March Madness versus the men's March Madness and how much coverage, like how, what games are written about in newspapers and what consumers are getting access to, it's limited. Why? Is it because there's not demand or is it because there's not coverage that, they do, that there's not demand? Mm -hmm. there's, there's not coverage. Like you don't even have a chance. Like you have to go dig it up. That's my opinion, is that we, we don't give it fair coverage. And so there's a general bias against women's sports. Like we don't want to watch it. I, there is actually demand to watch it. And there, and slowly but surely as access is getting a little bit more democratized where you can go on your phone and even if it's not on your TV, you can track something down, that's starting to bear out. Has there been data to suggest that that has democratized? I grew up and I remember the early stages of the WNBA and I was like, this is just not as, it's, it feels really slow to me. What's it? And this is a long time ago. And yeah, have you, know, you watched the W? Have you watched the WNBA game? I, well, recently? I don't have TV really. Yeah, so I don't. I, don't I haven't watched. An, I've watched two NBA games. There's in the last NBA 10 players years. who show up to watch W games. I mean, like it's good basketball. It's it, and you also have to remember in in many cases, like if you're looking at basketball and you look at the opportunities that the the time with which men generally have been able to evolve through a sport and learn through a sport, and then compare it to women who basically started to get the opportunities to do the same thing at the same level, you know, 40, 50 years ago, on a real equal level to actually train in the same way that men were, were able to train. So what are good examples where of specific sports where that's happened? Well, b basketball is a really good example. Title IX really influenced the um, availability of scholarships for women in basketball. And then you see the launch of the W. And I'm not arguing with you that it, 
it was a different game than the men's game. What I would say is just because it's different doesn't mean it's worse. It's just different. And there's something about the women's game that some people enjoy watching. Well, women's tennis, people prefer to watch women's tennis matches because the points are longer. Yeah, do you say, do you like watch women's tennis and you're like, ah, this is Well, I had an enormous crush on Steffi Graf growing up. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. like, you know, she was, she was great. No, 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 but seriously, the, the actual game is more fun to watch, you know? And no, you, so well, people I, have said I, I that would, about no, basketball no. too. And I, I will even say this, if you were to come and watch a, a women's baseball game, you're not going to see Shohei Otani come up to, to the plate and hit a 550 foot home run in our game. But are you going to see good baseball? Yes, you are going to see good baseball. Good. So it's a different game. It's not a worse game, I guess, is my point to your comment about the, the so W being slower. In, in the kind of a league of their own, right, everybody knows this movie. And I, I want to take a, a point from that, you know, Madonna's character. and was like, hey, we need personality. I mean, in the universe of sports has gone that direction, right? Since free agency became such a huge thing, it accelerated it. I mean, Michael Jordan... I mean, Michael Jordan's larger than life, right? And as an individual on a team sport, in tennis or individual sports, there's even a greater role for the individual. So, you know, the personalities of the tennis players, it's easier for that to shine versus a team through sport. versus a team sport where you're Roger Federer, you're Roger Federer, you're Michael Jordan, you've got to you've got to bring that team along with you. There's you can't touch the ball every single time. But or, here, but how do you find out? about the personality, right? Like what, what is your exposure to that, that sport and that athlete? It's, it's dictated by what somebody decides to show you on TV or to cover on their website or whatever. That's my point is that if you don't get exposed to it, how do you know if you like it or not? How do you know if you want to watch it or not? Okay. But the counter, the counter to that right now, not to go back in time is you've got people that are famous for being famous right? They've done nothing. And, and so this, this ability for personalities to go direct to people, I mean, they're athletes of different whatever, but they're really, they're on Instagram with millions of followers. And, you know, then they have t-shirt companies and they have whatever, and it kind of drives awareness back to what and else many, they're and doing. And many of the athletes in the pro sports, women athletes and men, obviously do that now on their, on an individual basis. But that stuff doesn't change. Even if you had a famous athlete playing for the W, or well, we, there there are. But if you had a, a very popular social media star who was playing for the W, then where would you go to watch it? You've got to get the you've got to get the league pass. You've got to seek it out. Is my point. But that's you don't, true with everything. I mean, but wouldn't that be great no, no, if there were a big? I, I I think it's I think it's different because you're fed you're fed some sports. You're fed the NFL. You're fed to a lesser extent MLB because it's it it's more regionalized um, and it's it's also spread out across a longer period of time. You're 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 fed those things, and you as a kid you grow up around this. I mean. I grew up a Braves fan because TBS was playing the Braves at four o'clock on the West Coast because of the seven o'clock game. WGN had the Bulls. WGN awesome, had the Bulls. How awesome was that? Every Jordan game. Oh, I, it's I, just, was a, I was definitely a Bulls fan. But um, he, okay, here's my point. It's it's not a, uh, a woman in sports, but nobody gave a shit about golf at a mass level until Tiger came along. And then all of a sudden, everyone cared about golf and watching it on TV. Well, and, that was a savior for them. You're right. And, and so, you know, the idea of 
a personality. And, you know, I mean, that's there's why- There's lots of ways that these athletes show their personality. And, but I agree with you, Malika, because I don't, for but me you have to create demand. I don't know they're out there until I'm discovering them somewhere being, like you said, being fed. And then I'll take that step to go to their Instagram and see who this runner is with the crazy hair, you know, who is this person? Like, and then you realize, wow, they're a really great athlete. I need to, I need to follow them. I need to, but yeah, it, it's, it's still being strangle held at the, at that level. And I'm not blaming any one person and saying like, this is the source of, I'm just saying we only have access to certain stuff. And, and your point about personalities, I think is a good one. But I would argue there are personalities out there that we just don't get to see. Mm -hmm. And even though you could discover them on social, you only discover kind of what's fed for, to you there anyway, too. We all know that. Like the things that show up on your feed are things that you're supposed to like that just kind of cycle in from what you've previously liked and all of that stuff. So how would a, a star women's basketball player get your attention right now? They almost have to break the law or do something bad to get in the news, you know? How I mean, would it's you almost, know about them? It, it's like they have Stumble to Stumble on them, yeah. They have to, yeah. It's, I mean, I'm just, I know there's other ways to do it, but to really get make a splash, it's like, it almost has to be negative. I mean, you know, Mia Hamm got everyone's attention. The Williams sisters in tennis got everyone's attention. I mean, there's been underdogs. I mean, and this is really what we're talking about here, right? I mean, you've been an underdog in so many ways, but also just really gifted. It's just before, before the time of social media. I mean, sports is entertainment. Now, the, the, the thing about sports that is so great, which is why we love it so much, is because we learn so much playing it. That's true. Right? I, I mean, I learned so much on a team. And from you know, my earliest, the only time I beat my mom in a set of tennis was the last time I, I, my mom touched playing me in, in a match of tennis, right? But, you know, she was the first person feeding me balls in the UF courts, and I grew up around that. And then, you know, I played high, high school tennis, and I played basketball, and I played, I played all these sports growing up, and I learned a ton. I mean, I learned a, I, 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 like my Calle Espanol that Emily loves, right? I learned it. <laughs> I, learned, I learned it for the most part playing soccer in Texas. It was awesome, right, at a young age, right? I mean, you've got these people coming from all different walks, everyone's got their story. You got to come together and build a team and you've got a common mission. You've got a common purpose. And there's something that is so, it's the best of life. I agree with that. And that's, that's why I argue so adamantly about the opportunities for girls and women, because all of those things that you're telling me, everybody deserves, mm -hmm. everybody deserves those things. And those lessons don't, you know, just stop at like the rec level. Those lessons can be learned at a much higher level as those athletes go to that level. Because not every athlete ends up in college playing tennis like you or playing professionally. But to have those opportunities, keep athletes in sports. And that's one of the problems. Youth sports participation is going down. And it's tough for women specifically because you look at the path and you're like, well, where am I going with this? What am I doing with this? Let me go somewhere else and, and spend some time and, and develop skills or whatever. So, But it's been proven that it keeps kids out of trouble. It keeps them in school. It keeps them, you know, reading and gives them other opportunities. And it's not, it's not just gender at this point. It's at the early ages. It's socioeconomically, you know, it's, it's helping a lot of kids have something productive to do and, and teaching them how to get along with a bunch of different types of people. Yeah. But I mean, at the college level, you know, the number of women in sports is not going down, is it? I don't think it is because there are almost like a, a set number of 
There's quotas. Yeah. 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 Whoa. And and you if you don't yeah I mean I I only use college and professional as aspirational things that keep kids in sports for longer. Yeah. Just I, okay, kind of I got looking. Because you need, yeah. like the Mia Hams, and I, I keep coming yeah. back to that because I just remember that that team was such a great team and it was just sort of inspirational. You can see, you could, you could just feel girls right. watch that and say, oh, I want to go I do, do that. It. Yeah. Right. And we need more of that. Yeah. That, that is, that is seeing is believing. Absolutely. And if girls can see other women playing sports, they want to be an athlete. They want to keep playing sports. So the economics of it at the college level is basically though, if you're at Florida or if you're at Ohio State or you're at UNC, I mean, at UNC, I assume that the men's basketball program subsidizes basically everything. In Florida, it's the it's the football team. In Ohio State, it's definitely the football team. And like, that's okay. To me, I'm kind of like, look, this is, there, there's a lot more opportunity for a lot more people. And if that's all that there were, and if everything about sports were just making money, especially at a college level, like it's, it's not quite right. Yeah. And I, I don't, I don't, I'm not at all against the college model and, and how they operate their budgets so that they can offer a variety of sports. And I, and I appreciate every opportunity I got. And I mean, there were a, a few occasions where we packed our stadium, but on most occasions it was, you know, 500, 1,000 fans coming to watch mm-hmm. volleyball players. 500, 500 fans at an Emory tennis match <laughs> that I played at would have been, I mean, they would have, they would have written hey a guys, lot of articles I, y- about y'all that. Y'all can talk track meets. No one goes to fucking track meets. <laughs> They're like, it's too long. It's hot. So, you know, it's, it's like when you go back in time, like nobody was showing up for lots of sports to the degree that they were showing up when Michael Jordan showed up and he was kind of a trendsetter and all the wages went up and all of the, like there, there's trendsetters. And is it, is it just the case where women are just a generation or two behind and it's it part has of it. to catch up or how does it, how does it look? I think, I think that's part the opportunities for women have been a generation or uh, two behind. And so I think, I think, yeah, over time, I think we'll see some catch up to that, uh, or I hope we will. I mean, you look at the NBA right now, you've got guys flying charter jets and the W players, and I, I'm not saying there's a quick fix to this, but the W players are play, are flying economy class. Coach, and yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like it's, it's just, it's still different. It's still different, I guess, is my point, and I think eventually it will. And it's not because of, it's not because of skill level. With women in, in baseball, it feels a little chicken and egg. Like I know you said like, Hey, let them be co-ed through little league. And then, you know, at some point come up with boy and girl teams for high school. But like, do you, do you start in college first? Cause that's where they have more funds. One of the things I have been a proponent of recently is the idea of creating club teams, women's club teams at the collegiate level. Mm-hmm you know, doesn't require a lot of funding. You couldn't do it at every school, but not every school has a club team for every sport anyway. But if there were a certain number, call it five, 10 schools who really committed to just supporting a women's club team and then having some sort of national championship where they all get to play against each other, something like that, I think could be the spark, right? Mm-hmm. And there's not, it doesn't require a lot of money. It, it, it would require girls and within sort of our community sort of commit to going to these colleges. So there, there's logistics, I think, to, to doing that. But if, if something like that could happen, 
that's the start. And then that provides that aspirational step for those younger girls to say, Mm -hmm. okay, I might not be able to play varsity baseball, but there are a couple college where where I could go play club baseball and I want to do that. And so I'm going to play through Little League and then I'm going to, maybe they will have to still play on their um, boys high school team, but I'm going to have this opportunity to go play club at a college. Right. And are the number of girls that are able to play on the boys high school teams, is it growing since you were in high school? I think so. There's a, there's a rough number out there that says there's about a hundred thousand girls playing high school baseball. Mm-hmm. I don't know the source, but you know, I mean, it's growing. It's not that uncommon anymore. I mean, still within any given community, you're likely only to, only to see one or two. And there, there's there's some opportunities. There's like travel ball teams that have started to pick up. There's a couple here in Florida, um, things like that that are giving. I think the outlets that girls need to. I'm continue. thinking about your letter again and. What made you include the football coaches in that? I thought I thought it would just be a good gauge because I was pretty sure that I hadn't heard of any girls making baseball teams. But if a coach or, you know, the coach on the football team was friends with the coach on the baseball <laughs> team, maybe there was some openness to it because they had seen it before. You know, I don't know. It just felt like the likely answer to baseball was no, but maybe there had been a girl Like, a, you know what team. we need? We need you to star in the baseball version of Quarterback Princess. I don't even know what Quarterback Princess is. I don't either. I don't like the sounds of it, though. (laughs) What? No. Guys, I'm telling you, you're going to go watch this. I love this movie. It's probably a Disney movie, but, you know, it's not cartoon. But it has a female in it who joins the, the high school football team, and she's like, becomes a star but it's like you know all the typical things you're talking about like not fitting in at first feeling like you know she's a target a target on her back you know parents and other people don't don't want her there and she ends up like you know saving the day the 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 funny thing about um those sports movies that that have women or girls playing and like doing stuff like that playing on a boys team I feel like they always pick the worst the actress who is the worst athlete (laughs) and so then the whole time all I do is watch a movie or the show and critique them like man she cannot throw a baseball (laughs) she cannot kick a football whatever you know whatever right hey well one thing we can kind of commiserate on is these actors that go do these tactical movies (laughs) I can't watch them But, but right. I was saying Very you could star in it. Like you, you could be the star, <laughs> you know, and then we'd, uh, we'd solve all the problems. But, you, but I, I want to talk about a different problem. And this is something that I remember you when we went to Cuba and we went sightseeing and it was there was this field off to the side and there was just kids playing in a sandlot going out, you know, afternoon, you know, or before they have to go back home for dinner. And you were watching this with like nostalgia in your eyes. And I don't see that anymore, at least in the United States. I see it, I see it in um, other, some other countries that I've lived in, especially in central, some parts of South America, but that's mostly soccer. But where, where are all the, the kids playing Sandlot baseball? They're all playing organized sports or on, um, uh, what do you call them, like uh uh, play dates or whatever when you have to schedule to go play. It's so weird. I think I think I think it's the worst. I, I just kids don't go out and play anymore, uh, and I and I do think that's detrimental to sort of the youth sports system because everything is structured. Everything is we're going to practice this many hours. We're going to play games. We're going to do travel ball. We're going to have your ten year old play one hundred and ten games in a year. Like it's all crazy to me. 
I think kids should go out, especially at a young age, play a lot of different sports, play them freely so they get to learn themselves, their bodies, like they just get to learn all those lessons. I mean, I think we'd be way better off. I mean, it's, it's, you know what it is? It's money. Yeah. Everything's turned into the youth sports system is turned into to money. Like, how are we going to make money on travel ball? We're going to sell them lessons and then we're going to sell them gear and then we're going to do this and that. And it's well, crazy. It, there's some parental complicity that goes along here too, yes. right? The, the assumption of zero risk for mm-hmm. Johnny and Jane right? Like they can experience no failures and no risks and no bruises and no cuts ever. And I got to know exactly where they are every second of every day. And the problem is, is that you're, you're actually not prepared for life as well. And so that's why you get kids that grow up a little bit more free to go. There's some risk to it, right? You, you have some skin in the game and occasionally bad things happen, knock on wood, but your kid is more resilient, prepared. And I I kept thinking as you were talking about this, the economist did this article about China trying to spend so much money, so much money to win the world cup and to be so good at soccer. Right. And meanwhile, you've got kids on the street in Brazil that are growing up, kicking some half soccer ball around if that, right. And the creativity element, yep, yep. the imagination, yep. all the intangibles. And what you talk about is being in love with the game. Yeah. yeah like and that's what kept you engaged And you don't get burned out Mm-mm. and you have fun and you're less inclined to get injured because yeah. you're not, you know, you're not just doing repetitive movements because you're doing these structured practices and it's, it's better for all. You guys keep stacking my soapboxes higher and higher with all these questions. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I want you to stand tall. Like you caught me off guard with that. <laughs> you know, usually it's, it's kind of like there's, there's kids running around and we'll BS for a couple yeah, minutes. I but. Know. Yeah. I think we're trying to recreate a little bit of how we grew up or maybe how our parents grew up too. Um, in this neighborhood, you know, we show up at your house unannounced. <laughs> it's know? not really unannounced because we can you hear can... you guys coming from about two and a half blocks away. <laughs> and, and, and your kids are little, so you still have to be with them. But eventually we'll have this like highway between yeah. us. Yeah. You know, I where look they, forward to that. the kids can just meet up and play a pickup game of wiffle ball or whatever, you know? And I hope so. You know, great. So you broke a window in a parked car. Like that's how you learn a good lesson. I a stern talking to, but you know. (laughs) I mean, it's like, it's okay. They'll all be afraid of Jason. (laughs) No, but it's like, those are good lessons to learn, you know? And, And, you know, there's, like you said, there's not this, I had to drop you off and here's this and you know that it, it's and, and nothing against some of those. It just has its time and place. Right. And I think, you know, after watching that movie in search of greatness, that all these athletes say it's right around that time between fifth and sixth grade, or, you know, right around middle school where it's like, okay, it's time to start getting some lessons or it's time to start playing on an organized team. But before that, you know, the people like these athletes, they just wanted to go out and do the sport because they loved it. Chris and I talk about this all the time, but you just have to get comfortable with the fact that your kid is just going to be average. Yes. And then if your kid ends up being a superstar, awesome. That's great. (laughs) But like, let's just all be real and kind of just deal with the fact that like, 
our kid's probably going to be average and it's going to be great and we're going to love them and they're going to do some cool things in life and we're going to be proud of them and that's great. And we're just here to keep them alive. And then occasionally, <laughs> yes, yours especially, <laughs> and then occasionally a Michael Jordan or, you know, whoever will walk down the street and you'll be like, that kid is amazing yeah. at whatever sport. Or the superpower is something else. Or the superpower. And it's not else. what we would say, oh, I want you to be this. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, kids have to find their own path. This is, this is hard. Yeah. They have to sort of find their passion and their love. And then, you know, I mean, I, I really, really loved, I mean, I loved basketball, but I got cut from the team right when I moved here, <laughs> right? There's no Michael Jordan redemption story in this. This is just like, that was the end. And then I played tennis and I really, really loved it. And I worked really hard. I mean, really hard. We were talking earlier about you can, there's five things in your life and you mm -hmm. can only have what, three of them? That's right. Well, in what are they? Let's, let's hear them. It's uh, work, family, fitness, friends, and sleep. You can only have three at, at have one three. time. Yes. I, I, this is this not my saying. <laughs> Let me say, uh -huh. put that so, on record. So mine but, was yes. only three. In college, there was sports and grades and girls. I got two of them, right? <laughs> I, had lots of, I had lots of sports and I had really good grades. You know, and like, I couldn't get, I couldn't get good enough. I just, uh, it's just not something and I was okay, but it's, it's like, that's not my path, you know? And my parents didn't know what to make of me at some level. And I feel like more parents, I, I just want my kids to find their path. And so you found your path. I think what you're hitting on too, is that as a parent, you can't determine what that path is for your kid. You have to let them find it if you want them to embrace it, be successful at it, love it, whatever. Like yeah. they've got to find that. Um, if you try to kind of script Exposure it for them. is good, but 30 minute, you know, $200 sessions with, you know, the leading experts are not going to do it. And yeah. that's why, you know, there was this great, I kept thinking about this as well as we were talking. There's this article that JFK wrote while he was president elect called the soft American in sports illustrator. And he basically said, you know, the next generations wars are won on the playgrounds today. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was this threat to America's security based upon just this softness that was going on. Well, does that sound relevant still? To me, it does. And there's this element of, look, we've got to have stronger communities. We've got to have kids out running around in team sports. I never really loved the individual element of tennis. I love the team part of it. And we've got to have kids going out and playing team sports. And oh, by the way, we need to have this on the male side and the female side, not just because it's the right thing to do or out of some altruism, but because it's best for everyone's future as citizens. Mm -hmm. I 100% agree with that. You make a good point. It, it's girls and boys. And as long as we approach it equally, I think we're in a good place. And it's endemic to our culture, like physical activity. We need it. Like, let's, let's put that back in a way that's not so scripted. Let's let, like, kids get outside. Let's let them do those you things. You know what we need to do, just personally. We need, when we, we go to the beach for our, like, happy hours, we need to just bring a wiffle ball. Set. Or soccer ball. Or so like we do. Yeah, bring yeah. soccer ball, but just draw some faces and just play like a little fun game and just, you know, let them know. Because my my kids don't even know which ball 
like they they always say like you know the wrong ball they call like a soccer ball a baseball and they, that's you know. okay my birdie birdie <laughs> saw a picture uh in the uh magazine of a basketball court with basketball players and she was like mommy baseball and i was like girl you got it everything no. is baseball everything is baseball no. <laughs> so so you wrote a book about birdie and and kit right there's a sequel now right well not or in yet. the works yeah i mean i feel guilty i've got to write something for my second daughter <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, I wrote it because when Birdie was first born, she's three and a half now, I was reading the standard board books, The Hungry Caterpillar and <laughs> Brown Bear. and Good Night Moon. Th those are actually good ones because some of the other ones I'd read and say, this is terrible, I can't. <laughs> I can't handle yeah. it, even though it takes Burn me 36 <laughs> seconds to get through it. I just felt like it was important, um, and, and this thread has gone throughout our conversation, that girls at even that age, at six months old, get the message that they can do things that guys can do. An affirmative message in that regard, especially because they don't have as many role models, and I think that's changing. I mean, we have a woman who's a vice president now, and there are, in the sports world, lots of women who are breaking the glass ceiling and doing some great things. I just felt like the message could start earlier. And so the book is a very simple book. Birdie sees men playing baseball, and she knows she can too, and she practices all the skills, and eventually she makes the USA Baseball Women's National Team. So it's very simple, but um, I just thought it was an important message for young kids. And I hope it inspires not just girls, but, but boys too. Yeah. It's important. Yeah, we read that to our So boys. back to sort of role models, female role models for women. I mean, I'm literally, I'm asking, how, how do you fill the vacuum? What should the role model look like? How, how do we present this at, I mean, holistically? I don't, I don't know if there's any one example. I think though we have to be conscious and just think about how women who are successful are portrayed right? And you were talking earlier about um, personality. Well, what does that really mean? And it, it, it's not one thing. You know, I don't, I, don't, I don't know how to exactly answer your question, but I think we just need to be conscious of the way that we highlight people and why they are famous or popular or, you know, interesting. And, and that can help us get to a better place in terms of how we look at women. And so who's a good example? Who's doing it right? I, for me, like I look up to women within the industry, like um, a Kim Ang, who's the GM of the Marlins, or I mean, that, that those are the type of people that I look up to. They're not necessarily people that others would know about, but I mean, that, I think that's Ven like, Venus Williams does a great job with her account. I mean, I I follow a lot of female athletes. Um, I just actually started following um, a skater who's participating in the Olympics and following some surfers that are getting the Olympics for the first time. So, you know, things are happening, but I know it must be frustrating to you to see, you know, a lot of these other sports, which I'm glad that they're getting an opportunity, but it's like women's baseball is not. Yeah, you know? we get the short end of the stick <laughs> in most things. I mean, I just think they should have women's baseball too. I mean, I'm, I'm not against having more, more of these things. More? More is okay. Well, more is okay. I mean, yeah. if you want, if you want kids, you know, people to be engaged and kids to watch the younger, then you gotta, you gotta give them what they want. But the, can there be surf teams and skateboard teams in every high school in America? No, <laughs> impossible. Right. Just based on geography. But can you have a baseball team in every high school? That should be a goal. Well, right? and it's pretty easy too, because you already have the facility. 
So there's not a whole lot of extra cost just to say, hey, let's also yeah. have a women's team or girls team. Um, Rotate the practice and the game schedule. That was our argument, too, with the Olympics. It obviously hasn't worked because we're not in the Olympics, but you already have the facility, right? You already have a baseball field that you have to build for the men's team. So especially with a game like baseball where it's it's something that in our culture, everybody seems to maybe not love, but appreciate. America's past. But they they know it. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody appreciates baseball. So why don't we crack it open and let girls and women play yeah and participate like it's our game like, yeah women are part of america too <laughs> thank god <laughs> yeah well that's a great argument saying that the facility is already there you yeah. know minor minor league stadium practical argument yeah which which does matter you know there, there's there's what's the argument against not having women's baseball I, I mean, I'm putting this know. on you, and you're not. I don't know. This There's already world. softball. I mean, you you hate to hear that, but it's like now you're going to split the talent pool between softball and baseball. Is there minor league women's softball? There's a professional um, softball league okay. that operates in the summer. Um, and then there's this uh, group called uh, Athletes Unlimited that just started last year with a, a different sort of professional model. But they, they've done softball and then uh, volleyball as well. Mm. So there, there are opportunities. Again, you don't see them on TV, but they're there. They don't make a ton of money, but it's three-month season, and a lot of the high-level uh, softball college players will go on to play there. You know, usually these things, they, they do become kind of labor of love for people doing them, for people promoting them, for people you know, organizing them. And it, it's kind of like support your local band, support your local restaurant, support your local shop. I mean, you have to do that in order to, to get it to the next level. I mean, legislation isn't going to solve everything. I mean, I'm, I'm for more, right? Like I think more people need to be on more fucking team sports and off their phones, less time on forums, more time out sweating with other people at the same lot or wherever I'm, I'm for all of this. And and so look, I think it's great and keep fighting the good fight. I'll try. So what's the, what's your advice for the next generation of athlete, you know, women athletes or just in general? So much pressure in the advice question. (laughs) I feel like I'd be remiss not to say follow your passion because that's sort of where we started in this whole conversation. You've got to do the work because nothing comes for free and um, get outside and play because even as an adult, we do that on the weekends and it's good for you. It's good for your body. It's good for your mind. It's good for your soul. So that would be my advice. Amen. <laughs> this has been a high production episode of glorious professionals. <laughs> anyway, last word, sweetie, they're yours. No, they're Malaykas. They're Malaykas. Oh, well, I, thank you guys for giving me the opportunity to talk to you. This was awesome. Thanks this really for coming. was. Thanks for riding your and, bike in the rain. Yeah. in this <laughs> high end, uh, podcast studio that we have. Awesome. Thanks, y'all.